Well, it's wonderful to be back here at San Marino Community Church. Again, I was over in the contemporary service just two weeks ago and had a great time with Becca and Jenny Jones and Brandon. And that day I had lunch with Alex and uh, Kelly, your interns, who are leaving today. And it's a delight to be back again. I also just want to say my brother Jamie, James, as he went today, is preaching in Paso Robles, and I send greetings and hello from him and Danny. They loved this church, they still do, and a lot of who they are is because of what you helped them to be, so I send hello from them. Our text today comes to us at the very end of the book of Deuteronomy. It's extremely obscure. Jan and Marilyn, I bet you have never preached a sermon on this text before, In fact, I bet some of the preachers here in the room have never preached a text on this text. In fact, it's so obscure that the Presbyterian lectionary has left it out of the preaching rotation. I guess the folks in Louisville didn't think it was worth a sermon. But you know, the more I've thought about this text and prayed about it, the more I think it's important seminally to our faith. It's about the intersection between all of our successes and all that we will never become. It's an intersection between all of the things we're able to achieve and that which we will never achieve in this life. It's about completion and incompletion. And it's so common in each of our lives that I've come up with a name for it. It's the Nebo Nexus. Nebo is the mountain that Moses went up, and the Nexus is the coming together of these things. And the Nebo Nexus is different in everyone's life. In the professional world, it happens. You finally got a professorship at Caltech. You've worked hard for this. It's just that you wanted to be the senior professor, not the associate professor. And it isn't that you don't appreciate the San Marino Community Award for Community Excellence, but but you are going for the Pulitzer. It happens in our personal lives You love your kids. They're remarkable. You couldn't hope for more. It's it's just that you got a comparative literature degree from Stanford and you were going to write the great American novel. And now you're reading fun with Dick and Jane. It happens in the industry. Our incredible quartet here this morning. You may get a part in Carmen or Candide and it's great. It's just you were hoping to be a lead actor in a movie. And now you're doing parts and advertisements. It happens in our retirement. There are a few people who are retired here this morning. You were at AC Delco or Amgen. You you did great things, but now you're retired and you wonder, is this how it all ends? Let's listen for the life of Moses at the very end of his life. The end of the book of Deuteronomy. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah. Across from Jericho, there the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan and all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region and the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on earth to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give your descendants, 
I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross into it. And then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. He he was buried in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. To this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the gifts of success and achievement. Thank you for what we've been able to do with our lives. And yet we come before you today as people who will not complete everything we would like to do with our lives. And for some of us, that's a stark reality. And for others of us, it seems to be a a shimmering hope. But in the middle of that, we pray that we would see you, Christ, and that we would move forward with what you've called us to do, no matter what that is. Lord, I pray that you'd be with these words of mine today, that they aren't just a sermon, but that they would be food for our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I love your senior pastor, Jeff O'Grady, who I know you know as a pastor, but I got to know Jeff 20 years ago at Princeton Seminary. I was working in the admissions department, and I just learned so much from Jeff as a mentor and a teacher. And our favorite things to do were just to walk around the Princeton campus, beautiful colonnades of Gothic architecture, to walk around the grad school, to walk around the university, and sometimes we would walk around the Advanced Institute. Now, I know you know the Advanced Institute is the place where some of the greatest minds in the history of math and science and physics have studied. But as we walked through that campus, I had my eyes on one window. It was the window of the office of Albert Einstein. And it was in that office for 30 years that Einstein worked and scribbled and scrawled and smoked his pipe and read books and scribbled on his blackboard. His office was totally a mess, which I take to great heart. He he once said, you know... If a cluttered desk is the sign of a cluttered mind, then what is the sign of an empty desk? (laughs) But it was what Einstein was working on for 30 years, the unified field theory. It would be a theory which could encapsulate the entire universe in in a single equation. And for 30 years, he was working on each little jot and tittle of that mathematical equation, And then on April the 18th, 1955, he was at his desk smoking his pipe and he he felt his heart begin to palpitate and one of his assistants drove him to Princeton Hospital where he died a couple of years later, a couple of hours later. I always wondered at that moment or just before, did Einstein know that he wouldn't complete the unified theory? Did he see all that he had done, 1910, the theory of relativity, 1925, the Pulitzer Prize? Did he imagine, like Moses from the top of the mountain, all that he had done, and did he know also somehow that he wouldn't complete this this equation? And yet, did he push forward? 
We've all been watching the television sets with anger and grief and outrage at what's happening in Charlottesville, Virginia. And there are no other words for it, but white supremacy is dangerous, it's evil, and it's infectious. And it's something we must speak against. But one of the members of this congregation, Ron White, one of the great biographies of U.S. history was written about President Grant. And in that book, you hear about the generals that worked under Grant to fight some of the forces that we're watching on television today. And, and one of those generals was General John Sedgwick. Now, Sedgwick had, had gotten lots of medals earlier in his career. He had been fought at the Battle of Antietam. He was at Fredericksburg and and now at the, at the top of the mountain, he was at Spotsylvania. And he looked over the fields, and by reputation, people have said that he said, don't worry, men, they couldn't hit an elephant at this dis... And he was shot down by a bullet. It was a nexus. I wonder if he knew that he wouldn't survive that battle but he went forward anyway. I got a text from a fellow pastor, a very successful one. I won't mention his name. You would know him. He texted me this last week. He said, Graham, things are going so well for the church. We are just moving out. We're building a satellite campus. Things are going incredibly well. The lay of the land. And then he wrote, my youngest son is going off to college today. I wish that I had spent more time with him when I could have. The things that won't be. It's the Nebo Nexus. Now Moses did everything God asked him to do. He didn't sign up for this project. He was 80 years old. He was watching his father-in-law's sheep on the top of another mountain, and this strange bush began to talk to him, and he finds out that it's God, and he tries to say no several times. You have the wrong person. Don't, don't get me. There's better people. I can't speak. And finally, at long last, Moses takes this job to lead a million Israelites out of Egypt. And to bring them to the promised land. And so Moses takes his walking stick and he heads down into Pharaoh's court. And he does everything for 40 years. Down in that wilderness with scorpions, with complainers. Food that was lacking. Everything right. And now at 120, he goes to the top of this mountain by the way, Mount Nebo is 2,600 feet high. I have been to the top of Nebo in a tour bus, and let me tell you, I was tired just riding in a bus. A doctor told me that it might have been the walk to the top that killed Moses at 120. You know what's interesting? For the first time in 40 years, he saw the lay of the land. He pulled his plane up from just 10 feet above the ground, and he was at 30,000 feet, and he could see the whole thing. Do you know how many people who get to a Nexus Nebo never stop and see the whole lay of the land? A great executive came into my office in Santa Barbara the other day, retired, and he said, Graham, I'm really mad. 
I said, John, I can see you're mad. Have a seat. Tell me what's on your mind. He said, well, I was heading from the 101 to the 118, and some little creep kid cut me off. He didn't use the word creep. He used its cousin. But uh, I said, well, you know, that happens, John. It happens. He said, then I had to take my car into the dealership, and they double-charged me, and then they didn't fix the thing. Well, John, that, you know, that happens too. But he said, my grandkids, they never call me. I mean, they say they're going to, I send them checks, they never call me. And my back is just bothering me. I just, I said, John, you are a great executive. Have you looked down from the mountain upon Naphtali? What does it look like at 30,000 feet? Retirement's a time to look at your life. He said, I don't have any time. I got to get to the chiropractor. See you next week. By the way, I heard about this pastor, and he was talking to this younger guy at this men's retreat, and this pastor, the young guy, and the gun guy says, I'm going to be retiring next year. And the pastor says, well, what are you going to do? And the kid, 51 years old, says, well, I'm just going to watch TV and drink beer. And the pastor says, well, you know, you do that, son, and you're going to be dead in one year. And the kid said, well, why? He said, pastor said, well, you know, if the, if the hard living and the unhealthy lifestyle doesn't kill you, your wife will. If you're in retirement right now, take a moment and look at the lay of the land from 30,000 feet. There will always be little distractions and worries. But that isn't the only thing that God showed Moses at 120. He showed him what he wouldn't do with his life. Now, if you hold your Bibles up to your ear, you will hear 3,500 years later deep and utter disappointment. Wait, what? Forty years I've been doing your work for you, and now I'm not getting to the promised land? Really? All right. Now, he had three options at that moment, as I see it. He had the option, number one, of heading back to Egypt. You know? All right, Lord, two can play at this game. Israelites, we're heading back to the meat pots and the pyramids. We're heading home. And, you know, some people do that when they face the disappointments of their life. You see this high school students, they don't get into the college they want. So they decided, well, I'm going to hang out with my friends. I'm not going to college. I'm heading back to high school. You see this in marriages. Every marriage hits some hurdle along the way. You see this and you see couples who instead of deciding to sort of move forward, one of them decides to go back previous girlfriend or boyfriend. You see it. The other option would have been to just, Moses, and it would have been my temptation to just say, okay, Lord, I'm sitting here on Mount Nebo, and this is where it's going to end. I'm done. I quit. This is going to be the Moses hospice unit up here on Nebo, and I am going to end it here. And I can relate to this. You receive a disappointment, I've been working on my dissertation for the last six months with this little seminary around the corner. What's its name? Fuller. And I mean, I have worked a hundred hours on this dissertation. A hundred. And I handed in my first proposal and I kind of expected a letter back saying, wow, this, this is the greatest dissertation we have ever read. You have broken new ground. We will give you the Pulitzer for dissertation writing. 
Instead, I got back, thank you for applying. Your dissertation is vague and lacks clarity, and we have no idea what you were talking about. Ouch. I just wanted to quit. I don't really need DR before my name. I can have it officially changed. I'll ask a judge, Dr. Graham Baird. That's my new name. So sometimes when we figure out what we're not going to do, we just stop on the mountain. But the third thing, and what I feel Moses did, is that at that moment he took everything in stock and he got on his walking stick and decided that even if he wasn't going to go to the promised land, that he was going to die trying. And so he says to the Israelites, all right, we're just there, 100 more feet, you follow me, we're going to go right now, we're going to walk this way. And I think he died on his walking stick. I've been working on a book for some time, and it may not get published, it may lack clarity, and it may not be totally vague, but, but the theme of the book is go, moving forward with a God of action. And it's interesting, the word go occurs 2,004 times in the Bible, which is a lot. I count it. Just so you know, the word love only occurs in its various forms around 300 times, and the word for sin occurs around 500 times in its various forms, so the word go occurs over twice as many times as the word for love and for sin. And I bet you can think of go texts. Go, your sins are behind you. Go, make disciples of all nations. But you know where 10% of the uses of the word go occur? In Moses' life, 200 times. Somewhere amidst all the disappointments of his life, he figured out that the gospel of Jesus Christ, 1,500 years before Jesus was born for him, was about moving forward no matter what disappointments he faced, and he faced a lot of them. And you know what's interesting is nobody in this life ever makes it to the promised land. All of us are on our way. And people who have had such great success, there is not one person who is extremely successful who has done everything that they want to do. Uh, you Look at figures like a guy named Rick Warren, who's the pastor of this little tiny church down here. What's it called? Saddleback. He has like 30,000 people a week, every week, come and listen to him. He's written the book, other than the Bible, that people read around the world. He's done all of that. And yet the other day he said in a sermon, I just wonder what I might have been able to do if I'd have had a little more faith. Bill Clinton made plenty of mistakes as president, but you know the thing that just makes him so upset about his life to this very day is he talks about it in every interview about, about Rwanda and how he should have been more involved in that war. George Clooney, he's an actor in ER. He was in Oh, oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He, he was in A Perfect Storm, and he, he's always on television talking about how he shouldn't have done that Batman movie. And honestly, he probably shouldn't have done that Batman movie. 
the thing I want to talk about today as I close is that all of us have an opportunity to see our lives from a higher perspective. And I want to encourage you sometime this next week to think about all that God has done in your life. And then I want you to have the courage to think about some of those things that won't be, that you've worked hard on, that you've tried for, that you've put your whole heart into, but that won't be. And at the very center of that, I want you to see Jesus Christ, who is with you. And I want you to move forward, whatever God has called you to do. My grandma is here today, Grandma Ruth. She is 97 and a half years old. I thought that was something until I met Jack, who is 99 years old, sitting right next to him. Now, 97 is not 120, but it's getting up there. You try coming to church when you're 97 and a half. And I've looked up to her my whole life as someone who has moved forward with a God of action no matter what's happened to her. But you know who she learned that from? Her mother. And I want to just talk quickly about Dorothy Kale, who was her mother. She was from Merced, California. She was a farmer's wife. She loved being a farmer's wife. She lived for it. The, the planting, the harvesting. She had all the field hands in her kitchen there in Merced, and she'd fed all 20 of them before 5 in the morning. She loved it. They did walnuts and cotton and almonds. You know, almonds, that's what you knock the L out of before they hit the ground. <laughs> so she had a good life. And then at 68 her husband quickly got pancreatic cancer and died like that. What was she going to do? She prayed about it and thought about it, and she thought, you know, maybe I'll take over the farm. I can do it. I'm only 68, she said. But then somebody burned her house down in Merced. And now what was she going to do? So she decides to go to a mountain, not Nebo, but Mount Hermon, up there in Santa Cruz. And there she's going to live out her days. And, uh, you know, it's a great Christian retreat center, and she's going to listen to the speakers, and she's just going to kind of, she's going to plant herself on the top of that mountain, and then when God calls her home, then that's going to be it. So that's what she did from six, when she was 68, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 78, 79. And then when she turned 80, she came to chapel one day. And a missionary with the Wycliffe Bible Society was there. And he was talking about a place called Papua New Guinea where there were headhunters. And they needed some people to sign up to be missionaries in Papua New Guinea. And, you know, it was a rousing talk, like all missionaries can give. And he gave this big old talk, and he said, you know, I'll just come down to the front afterwards and sign up to be a missionary in Papua New Guinea. 
And, you know, the choir, they all sang a song that was almost as good as the one you all sang. I have decided to follow Jesus. And then they all went to the prime rib buffet that was around the corner. But not Dorothy. It was her nexus moment. She sat there at the back and she said to herself, you know, I'm not getting any younger. And so I'm going to sign up to be a missionary in Papua New Guinea. So she shuffled her 80 legs down to the front, and there the guy was packing up his Bible, and she said, um, <clears throat> I want to be a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And he said, well, how old are you? I said, well, I'm, I'm 80, a young 80, she said. He said, well, did you not hear that part in the talk about the headhunters? I mean, we can find you a job. You lick stamps in the front office with Wycliffe. She said, no, I'm going to go to New Guinea. Well, she tried and she tried. She sent paperwork in. They said no. She sent it back. They said no. She sent it back. Finally, I guess they figured. They said yes. They figured she's 80 years old. If she loses her head, I guess no big deal. I, I don't know. But I do know that at 82... She went to Papua New Guinea. Now, did she make it to the promised land there? Was she the most successful missionary there ever was? I don't know. I did talk to some missionary kids from Life Wanderer International who I said, did you ever hear of Dorothy Kayla? And she, they said, yeah, there was this woman with a Minolta 500 taking pictures of Elongot headhunters. Yeah, I remember her. But I do know this. At that Nebo nexus, between all that she had done and still what she would left undone, she heard Christ's voice. And like Moses, she got on her walking stick and she went forward. Let me just read to you how Moses' life ends the last sentence of the book. Does it say, Moses was a great disappointment to the Lord? No. It says this. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all the officials and to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Amen? Thank you, God. Thank you for giving us these lives. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to know that in the midst of all that we have been and all that we won't be, that you are there. And our job is not to get to the promised land. Our job is to lead your people wherever that takes us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.